As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 142 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? We're a little late today. Yeah, we we were so proud of ourselves last week. So for everyone who listened in last week, you will know last week was Digipalooza, which is Overdrive's big every two-year conference that we have like hundreds of librarians in Cleveland. And we're all proud of ourselves because at the beginning of the week, we took care of the Monday episode and we kept the Thursday one scheduled ahead of time. We crushed it. <laughs> and then yesterday, which was Sunday, I was like, do we do it for Monday? Yeah, we forgot today. Yeah. <laughs> so this is up a little bit later than normal, but still getting it out on Monday. <laughs> thankfully. thankfully, we have a whole bunch of author interviews in the queue that we didn't we have do. to scramble. So um, yeah, to, we're, today's interview is uh, I sat down with Meg Cabot, who's amazing and just so funny and... Like everything you would want a really famous author to be, like down to earth. That makes and me happy. Giggly, and she showed up at the library. She didn't have like a publicist or a managing person. She just was by herself, hanging out. Got there super early. Got lots of time. They got to introduce some of our coworkers to her, who are huge fans. So, yeah, everything you want a person to be, who you have long wondered if they're as incredible as they seem, she is. Awesome. She's great. Uh, yeah, she's promoting uh, her new book, obviously. Um, it's called Royal Crush. It's for middle grade, early, kind of like preteen, but we talk about a whole bunch of her other books and stuff. So she wrote The Princess Diaries, if her name sounds familiar, yeah. but you're not like thinking of it. That's that's what she did that most people know about. Right. But she's written, I think it's 50 books and she's got like millions and millions of copies sold so and all across all ages so she also talked about something that she she told us something that she's never told anyone else and i don't want to spoil that so it's pretty exciting stuff uh if people want to get a hold of us how can they do that they can find us on twitter at pro book nerds i had a moment of (laughs) forgetting there no i know at pro book nerds and they can email us at professional book nerds at overdrive.com yes they can all right sorry this was a little bit late guys we are we've got like a digipalooza adjacent hangover kind of a situation going here but uh you guys are gonna love this meg cabot is incredible so take a listen and enjoy this episode of the professional book nerds podcast Hi, 
Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I am incredibly honored to be joined by Meg Cabot, the number one New York Times bestselling author of nearly 80 titles for children and adults alike. Her books have sold more than 25 million copies in 38 countries, with her wildly popular Princess Diaries and Avalon High series having been developed for television and movies as well. She's constantly creating new stories and expanding her literary worlds for her readers, and The Notebooks of a Middle School Princess series is a perfect example of that. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we are actually recording this, I believe, on your book birthday, correct? That is true. My new book, Royal Crush, is out today. So do you want to get us started by telling us a little bit about the new book? I would love to. Royal Crush is obviously about... Princess Olivia, who may or may not have a crush. (laughs) I don't want to give anything away, no spoilers. But actually, it's also about uh, the fact that Olivia's older sister, Princess Mia Thermopolis, some of you may be familiar with her from the Princess Diary series, yes, um, is about to give birth Mm -hmm. at any moment to Olivia's possibly niece, possibly nephew, (laughs) maybe both. They're royal twins. Everybody already knows about it. Uh And um, But Olivia who's very excited about this, actually has to go on her first school field trip with the Royal Genovian Academy, which Olivia's now attending, and she really doesn't want to go because she wants to be there for the royal birth. Mm -hmm. But it's a very important school field trip because they are going to the Royal Winter Games, where they're going to be competing with all of the other royal schools. In Europe. So I believe I saw, not only did you write this book, but you illustrated this? I did illustrate it, which actually, people don't know this, but I was actually an art major in college, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a children's book illustrator. And I actually graduated and moved to New York City to be an illustrator, and obviously I failed miserably. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the first time, right? This is the first time you've illustrated For this series, yes. I've been illustrating this series, and it's really, really been exciting. My my mother's very proud, because I'm finally using my college degree for the first time. If it makes you feel any better, I have a sports marketing master's (laughs) degree, and I talk books for a living. actually does make me feel better. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's interesting how people, when you, especially writers too, when you're talking to them, what they majored in right. is often has nothing to do with what they do for a living. <laughs> okay, so what for, like, A, what made you want to illustrate this one? Was it just that because of that background and you love doing it or? Yeah, I mean, really, I, I've just um, really loved the story and mm-hmm. I had visions in my head of how the character should look and I thought it would be fun and I asked my publisher, would it be okay that was if gonna I be one did my it? other times no publisher has ever said yes mm-hmm. until now and so this publisher at Macmillan um by well and friends they're so great and they said absolutely yes well I submitted some illustrations <laughs> so that they could see them and to my relief they said yes and so yeah I, I've actually been rejected many times in the illustration department and when I moved to New York to be an illustrator um I did not get very many jobs and so I actually yeah. started illust- uh, writing on the side a lot about my rejections of being an illustrator and that's kind of what took off was Right. I, I was gonna ask Weirdly. if you have the ca- the cachet now to be like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna illustrate this. Just trust me on that. It's gonna be great." <laughs> no, absolutely not. They they often they'll they'll they're very nice about it. They'll say, "Well, these illustrations are very nice, but you know, we have this other illustration. Uh-huh. What do you think about these drawings?" And I, I see them and I go, "Oh gosh, yeah, they're much better so, than mine." So I'm usually beaten down and agree that they should have somebody else do it. So do you do like do you draw? Kind of outside of writing, it's like a stress relief sort of thing. Oh, Stanley? all the time. Yeah, yeah, I've been a doodler, as mm-hmm. as most people I think who are who are artists, um, or at least illustrators, uh, they doodle, and so I've been doodling my whole life, and uh, that's how I got into yeah 
you know, as an art major, that's how I got into it. And I actually was complimented by my teachers on my, on my doodles. And then they say, but if you actually concentrated on the assignment, that would have been better. Um, and that's how I became an art major. And I'm so jealous of that. I have, when it comes to drawing and painting, I have literally zero artistic oh, skills. Oh, I'm sure that's not true. No, I, like I'll go to doodle on the side of something. And like the only thing I can make is like a shaded Christmas tree. where you just kind of like <laughs> shade down one and then downside the other. Yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with practice. Uh-huh. You need to just practice that's right. shaded Christmas <laughs> Christmas trees until you're as good as you can be. That's okay. I think that should be so for me. That's okay, though. Uh, So the amount of content you make for your readers is, it's astonishing. The amount of books you release and and, and things that you have for everybody, the stories you tell. So I don't want to ask the whole where to get your ideas from. That feels that's a lazy interviewer question, so I won't do that. But how do you keep everything organized? Like for when you have different series going on at the same time or different stories that you want to write, is that... Do you have different files for everything? Yes, I, it's really that simple. I yeah? have a lot of files on mm-hmm. my... Uh, now on my computer, when I was, you know, pre-computer age, which I actually was alive during <laughs> that time, um, I had little files. I had different um, files that had the contents. And I used to actually draw the, the characters of my stories, too, when I was a kid. I, I would illustrate the characters so I would know what they looked like. And um, I would keep them all in a file. And now mm-hmm. I, do, I just do that on a computer. And... Um, I actually have a thing, a story Bible, so that each series has, which is something that I didn't do for a long time, and then <laughs> certain editors started making me do that because the characters' eye color would change from book to book, and and sometimes we wouldn't <laughs> notice, and then readers would notice, uh-huh. and they would write to us, and we'd get in trouble. But I pride myself on the fact that George R. R. Martin of the Game of Thrones series mm-hmm. has done the same thing, so yeah. um, it's not just me. Um, sometimes you just have so many characters that things... It's hard to keep track. Um, so yes, so we have a story Bible, and I can look it up if I'm if I can't remember. But usually I remember um, because these people are like friends, mm-hmm. and people you know, and you remember things about them. And and um, I don't really have an idea of what their face looks like, but I know their eye color and hair color, and what they like, and the foods they like to eat, and that kind of things. And I generally remember that. But yeah. I do have to occasionally peek at the story Bible. So series. Are you? Do you actively like think about the fact, like, okay, I haven't written a book in this series since 2015, and this one I wrote one last year, so I should wait on that. I guess I know that a lot of people might be jealous of the fact of you having so many different ideas, which is amazing. But like, do you actively think of the amount of time it's been since you wrote a, a book in certain series? No, I don't. I, what happens is I'll think of an idea first, or maybe something will happen, or I'll see something. Um, in the news or something that I see in real life, and I'll think, oh, that would be a good story. And then I'll think, how would I tell this? And then usually I think, what character would be the best mm-hmm. person to tell this story? And if it's somebody who fits a certain series, then I go, okay, so that that should be the next book in that series. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll approach my editor and say, let's do this. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's been 10 years <laughs> since you last wrote that series. Are you insane? It's going to be so hard to launch this. But usually they're they're cool with it. I mean, for the most part, uh, it's it's worked out for me, think, thankfully. Um, but so I recently had the relaunch of the Princess Diary series with a story that was set while the, the girl's now in her 20s, Royal Wedding, and, and the same thing in the Mediator series. And both of those stories came about because certain things were happening in my life that I thought, oh my gosh, it would be so funny if we told this from the point of view of either Mia and then also Suze. Um, and it just happened to work out. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the same editor. <laughs> so yeah. she was fighting. There was a double blow, but she was like, fine, I give up. Go ahead. <laughs> just do what you're going to do. Uh, and then so from a, a writing standpoint, like the, the craft of writing, kind of the daily, like people see 
a, a writer and author that they love release a book and they just think, oh, they wrote another book. But from you, you know, in the day to day kind of grind, like what is your writing process like? Are you a morning writer kind of throughout the no. day? I, it's just a, it, it's like any other job. And I think that you if you're going to be a professional writer, that's how you have to approach it, that you do it every day, just like you would working any kind of job, because there are certainly days when you wake up that you can't face <laughs> going to work because there's other things going on in your life. But if you don't, the book will never get done. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I do. I work every day from not really nine to five, but because uh, I don't like getting up <laughs> that early, that's maybe fair. 10, 10 to six, and I break for lunch. And I do spend a lot of that part, time of the day looking at videos on YouTube that mm-hmm. are about kittens and that kind of thing. <laughs> sure. um, and I do have to turn off the internet at a certain point, And um, sometimes I'll go to areas where there is no internet because I can't, I don't have the discipline to turn it off. So it's, it's hard just like trying to pay attention at your own job. Not that it's boring because I love it and I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that I have it. But once, you know, you've planned out the whole story, you kind of feel like it's already told. And you're like, oh, now I have to write it. Dang. <laughs> and you're just slogging along. But then hope sometimes you find that magic mm-hmm. where it all starts coming together and it's so fun and you love it. And sometimes it's a little hard to find that. Mm-hmm. So it's like takes a lot of caffeine usually yeah, to get I, to that point. Okay. We are kindred spirits. <laughs> okay, yeah. For me, it's just all caffeine. It's, but yeah, it's, it is. I didn't want to say that it, no, it that's, totally is. You're in a safe place here yeah, for that. It's, and, I, and you're going to have a lot I, of chocolate. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. You're going to have a lot of uh, even bigger fans at our office now talking about the cat videos, by the <laughs> oh way, because that, that is it. We have a it's office terrible. for librarians who fall yeah. into the stereotype. So. I should add that I have a, a writer friend, and we have um, a thing that we do that we have to write five pages every day by five o'clock, or we have to donate $5 to a certain political candidate that we hate very much. <laughs> and if we, so as a punishment, if we mm-hmm. don't write the five pages, I'm not going to say who the mm-hmm. political person yeah. is, but that is the strongest motivator that we've ever, I've ever had. Oh my and God. so it changes like from year to, we've been doing this for years. That's incredible. It started, uh, when, way way back more than like 10 years ago so that is how i've gotten up the bulk because uh-huh. when that clock starts getting close to five and you haven't written your five pages and you think because your name will be publicly mm-hmm. you know up there yeah. that you donated money to this candidate whichever so, candidate it is sure 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 this is my favorite is, dancing verbal dancing i've ever seen is, and it's changed because yeah. that that certain people haven't always been uh-huh. running but there's always somebody hor- horrible to you. So for those five pages, does it have to be five pages of no. that book? Or okay. can it just be... See, yes. And we have to change the rules. You can also delete five pages. Like if you wrote something that was terrible, uh-huh. we've decided that you can delete five pages. I mean, it's, it's evolved over the years. Like deleting counts. Maybe if you had to do something like a blog mm-hmm. uh, for for PR purposes, that counts. I mean, Loose we're, rules. Because we've gotten very scared over uh-huh. the years with this five five. Yeah. It's so we call it five by five or five. Anyone can play. I like this a lot. <laughs> Anyone can play. I'm going to take this up at our office. <laughs> um, so in the, what I must imagine is very small amounts of free time you do have being a book recommendation podcast. What are the types of books that you like to read? I like to read. I mean, I've always loved to read since I was a kid. I was a reluctant reader when I was very young. So um, it was hard for me to find books. I started reading comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, even the comics in the newspaper was really how I got started. Then I started reading every comic book I could get my hand on, hands on. I loved them all. Um, then I started reading 
books actually that had been, were based on movies because I found it easier if I'd seen the movie than I could yeah. read read the book. So novelization, Star Wars mm-hmm. <laughs> was one of them, a big fantastic voyage was written by Isaac Asimov that I'd seen the movie of. I loved it. Um, and then as I got older, I really gravitated towards fantasy and sci-fi. Then romance novels, of course, uh-huh. as I got into high school, and now um, I love mysteries. So I read a lot of mysteries, thrillers. I love everything. Tana French is a huge. I'm a huge fan of Tana French right now. But I'll pretty much read anything right now. I'm reading the Knicks. Um, oh my gosh! Look at your face. Yeah, I, <laughs> I haven't finished it, so I don't I know if it's, if it's okay sp- to it's recommend. Incredible. Is it good? Okay. He, he was on it's our podcast. It's a nice, uh, hefty book for airplanes. I'm enjoying it, yeah. but I'm only you know about 100 pages in, so I don't know what happens. But okay, so I guess we're recommending it's, the next. It it was so good that it made me angry that it was his first novel. Oh, but he got, he obviously worked on it a long oh, absolutely. time, so it's okay. Yeah, that's just and he's written short stories and stuff. So oh, 100. percent He's not like a, forgive him. Yeah, it's just one of the you know how sometimes. You'll read a so book. Is Nathan, Nathan Hill? Is his Hill. Name? Okay, yeah. So sometimes, yeah, but sometimes you'll read a book and you'll be like, "This person has to have been writing for fifty years." And I think he, he's been writing it for at least a long ten years. Yeah. Let's, let's give him. Yeah. A it's just there's that. just some know. of those books. Anyway, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm no, sorry. you didn't at all. So that's I'm reading that now. But so I don't just read serial killer books. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Read some other things. Would you ever consider writing like? Kind of high fantasy, sci-fi, like... Um, okay, you know. I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anyone. I did just pitch a book like that, uh-huh. and it was soundly rejected by, oh. <laughs> by nearly everyone. And so I guess i got to go back and work on it a little more. Um, it was not very Meg Cabot-y, is what uh-huh. I was told. And so maybe I have to do it again under a different... Maybe Nathan Hill. Uh-huh. I'll use his there name. There you go. Well, you used <laughs> no, to actually... I, I know you used to write under a pen name. So. I have written under multiple pen names, and now everything's under Meg Cabot, but I think maybe I need to go back mm-hmm. to uh, uh, you actually You touched on something, actually, that I love hearing a you know successful author say, because if people go to your bio, they'll see basically it's like Meg wrote the Princess Diaries and they were published this day. And then, yes. you know, that's that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. But for people who are aspiring writers, you, you just mentioned it as someone who is incredibly well known in the literary world. You got rejected. Oh, so yes. what like, can you maybe explain to people what you went through to get well, published? Well, it took me years before I got I was rejected for four years when I first started sending stuff out it took four years just to get an agent mm-hmm. and I'm literally saying that I sent stuff out every single day for four years yeah. except like Sunday because there's no mail I got back rejections every single day but I kept sending stuff out even though I was being rejected because I kept writing more stuff because I most of the rejections were just like no written <laughs> on my actual query letter oh. like no <laughs> but sometimes they would have actual um, you know nice kind of suggestions mm-hmm. on ways I could improve my like we are not taking um, right. medieval historical romance novels featuring dragons at this time but however if you have anything Victorian yeah. we will, oh okay so I'll write a Victorian and that's actually how I ended up getting published I did write historical romance novels under the name Patricia Cabot for a while um, and then um, I would just write things like that they suggested as fast as I could. And I was working a full-time job at NYU as an assistant dorm manager, but... I'm seeing um, where the caffeine plays in. Yeah, that, that was there was a lot of caffeine, and fortunately the coffee was free because there was a, a cafeteria there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was just very hard, but it was also a very productive time, and I think that you can't take it too personally because it is a business. It's They, they want something that is going to sell in whatever the market is, and I also think you can't really write to the market because it's going to change mm-hmm. constantly. So you have to some, write something that you really love and um 
so now, yeah, like I just said, I got, <laughs> I wrote something that got rejected and I really love it. And yeah. I am going to keep working on it until I find, and also the publishing world is very large. So you will find somebody who's going to love your stuff. So the same thing, Princess Diaries got rejected 29 times by 29. I really didn't change it that much. The one rejection that I got was that, why is this girl 30 years old? <laughs> and she is so upset about her mom dating her teacher. And also nothing happens in this story. So I rewrote oh it and I made her 14 and I made her turn out to be a princess. So that was like, I changed the story uh -huh. a bit. So possibly I need to change the story a bit of this uh, thing that I just wrote that got rejected. It's still probably going to be high fantasy. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do Listen, to make it more Meg Cavity. You have, <laughs> I'm going to figure it even out. Even if you change nothing about it, you have an office full of beta readers I could, or beta readers that I could. <laughs> Thank you. Happily, I yeah. probably need to get somebody else to, to read it and yeah. tell me what I did wrong there. I, I already know. Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out. I actually, so speaking, I, I told you this before we started recording, but you have, in our office in Overdrive, we have literally dozens of librarians who work for us. They, they work with the libraries that we work with every day helping them with collection development and yada, yada, yada. It's actually the reason this podcast exists is because every day you go up to one of our cubes and there's just people talking about books. And oh, one day we were like, we fun. should put a microphone in front of our faces. Yes. So you have lots and lots of fans at our office. Oh. And I told you they were very jealous that I got to sit down with you. <laughs> so as my like peace accord with them, they have a few questions for you. Okay, let's hear So them. the first one is, do you have a preference in which audience you write for kid, kids, middle school, YA, adult? I don't. I would be sad if I wasn't writing for all of them. So I do like to change it up. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy writing for each one of them. I don't think I could just write for one of them all the time. I think I would go insane. Mm -hmm. So I love writing for kids and I love writing for adults. Um, I couldn't just do one all the time. Okay. That's a good answer. Yeah. Okay. It's actually true. Yeah. I believe <laughs> I'm you. not just making it up. <laughs> um, okay. You, you kind of talked about this slightly before, but the first five books of the Mediator series were written under the pen name Jenny Carroll. Yeah. And I, meaning my friend Andrea, mm -hmm. knows that the Mediator series started around the same time as the Princess Diaries. Yeah. So what was the reason for that? And then why did you switch it back? Well, this goes to being rejected. The... Um, editor of the Princess Stories, I said, hey, by the way, I also wrote uh -huh. this other book called The Mediator. And she was like, no, that's not going to work. I don't like it. And um, it's also too weird for the readers of the Princess Stories. Mm -hmm. So no, we're not taking it. And I was like, fine. And I worked my <laughs> magic and I just sold it to somebody else under a different name. Mm -hmm. And they took it. And basically, I think what they didn't want to have two, I had at that time, I think sold a contract saying I couldn't have two competing books in the same kind of... Uh, like genres? I don't want to say or... genre because YA is itself a genre, but basically, yeah. whatever, the same... Um... I, I don't even know. Yeah, say, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not helping so you. It was so long ago, I can't even remember, yeah. but um, I just was like, fine, and I did it under the name Jenny Carroll, who's my dead cat. Mm -hmm. And oh. um, so I was basically competing against myself with <laughs> the Metcalf books and the Jenny Carroll books. And they did pretty horribly, I have to say. <laughs> Not very many people bought them. And so to the credit of that editor who originally rejected them, um, they kind of started taking off in other countries. <laughs> and um, But eventually Simon & Schuster did um, decide not to take anymore mm -hmm. and I went back to they kind of had like a little cult following and I went back to that original editor and I was like by the way by that time the princess series was doing very well and I was like by the way I love these books so much kid is there anything you can do and she's like fine we will publish more we'll take them over and you can do them under your own name although you'll be competing against yourself and I was like I don't care and <laughs> it was so great because then 
Um, and she was fantastic, and we got to do more of them. And um, that is the world that we live in today, as you know. The idea of them saying you're competing against yourself, though, kind of cracks me up, because that implies that people read, like, one book. I, I yeah. know. You know, the world of publishing has changed so much now. Because yeah. now, because I think of ebooks and everything, that people, the, people are so hungry for content. Right. At the time, if you wrote more than one book a year, people were worried, publishers were yeah. worried that you were kind of flooding the market and there would be too much yeah. content. Now they are yeah. <laughs> desperate for writers who write more than one book a year. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a different um, place mm-hmm. in the early, what was that, the early 2000s? Yeah, I was going to say, we are... It's crazy now. Our August, like, our biggest titles of August episode, we had like 30 books that we recommended. And some people were like, what else you got for me? And I'm like, yeah. come on, give me yeah. a break. So, so now crazy. it's a very different world. Yeah. All right, this one's very important. Do you think your books have inspired Duchess Kate at all? <laughs> I highly doubt it. I would be very surprised if she had read my books. No. I wish. That would be hilarious. But <laughs> okay. no. I kind of assume. That would be cute, though. Yeah. I would love to see a, uh, like a photo of her childhood bedroom and see if there are any... Princess Diaries on her That would shelves. be a pretty incredible, oh incredible moment to see. Um, Great question. If you could spend one day with any of your characters, who would you choose and what oh would you do? Oh, gosh. It's not my question, so you can't I do that I think that's so funny. Um, probably, okay, I have a really big soft spot for Lars, the bodyguard of yeah. Princess Mia, and I would love to spend a day with Lars, uh-huh. and I would love to just go with him to find out what he does during the day, because it's a little mysterious. I suspect he goes to the shooting range mm-hmm. and does a little target practice. Um... I think he probably binge eats secretly. <laughs> I want to know what he eats. He probably goes and works out. I would just watch him do that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, you know, yeah. work out with him. And um, just hang out with Lars. Okay. Um, there's something that you touched on about the fact that you, you know, you went to school for art. And I'm just curious because you said you loved comics growing up. And yes. um, I think such a, a great way, especially for young boys, a great way to get mm-hmm. them reading. And, and young, young girls as well. But having them see you talked about reading like novelizations and things i yeah. think a lot of people see like graphic novels and comics as exactly. a great way to introduce people um so i'm curious are there any like when you were pick, pulling out comics and mm-hmm. books when you were younger um were you drawn to specific illustrators or was it specific oh comics? that's an interesting question um i did really like the more well so for instance when i was reading the newspaper um the comics in the newspapers i did not like the unrealistic ones. Okay. <laughs> this, this is really embarrassing but i loved prince valiant yeah because yeah. those are highly realistic mm-hmm. i loved spider-man obviously uh-huh. so i didn't like the comics that didn't look you know marmaduke no way okay so i was saying no, no marmaduke circle, no garfield no, I, uh, no gosh no i wanted the really highly highly realistic um drawings you know i liked betty and veronica and i liked archie but they weren't you know drawn so realistically Mm -hmm. i really was drawn so then when i did go to buy comics when i started realizing oh my gosh you could actually buy just those comics Mm -hmm. you don't have to see all those hideous representations (laughs) um those are the ones i was drawn to so spider-man isis i was Mm -hmm. very into isis Mm -hmm from DC Comics, um, Wonder Woman, obviously. Yeah. Um, I loved Star Wars, and Star Wars had a huge line of comic mm-hmm. books, so I would always buy the ones that just looked super, super realistic. Um, of course, my parents wanted me to read um, Archie, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Mickey Mouse, that kind of stuff, and that made me very angry. And I don't know, <laughs> like as a kid, just being angry, and I don't know whether it was because they weren't drawn realistically or if I didn't like the storylines, but I really liked, you know, the very graphic, violent, uh-huh. realistic <laughs> storylines. But that may have been 
partly because it looked realistic. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though, of course, the stories weren't that realistic. Yeah, I would say that, yeah, <laughs> like, the, the, the realistic the Hulk, the realistic yeah, John the Hulk high is fantasy. so realistic. <laughs> but I really liked those yeah. as a kid. And and I think that you're right. As a, as, And, of course, um, it's a great way to get into reading. And mm-hmm. I really dislike it when people say that graphic novels and comics are not real books because mm-hmm. they really are, yeah. I, I think. I, some We spoke with um, Dave Pilkey recently who did Cats in Underpants, mm-hmm. and he talked about the fact he um, had ADHD and he, was, oh, you know, yeah. he struggled reading growing up. And the thing that he talked about graphic novels that he really loved, and I never thought about this, but it's a really good point. He loved the fact that there would be a chunk of words and, and sentences, but then for a young reader the images would contextualize, it would explain to you, basically, like, if so, if it said something about the character's emotion, like he was incredibly angsty or upset, you could see what that actually yeah, meant. You could exactly. learn new words. So when people say that comics aren't you know, actual reading, I, I think it's the other way around, where it actually can teach you vocabulary that you don't understand. No, absolutely. And those are, I think those are great books, and um, it kind of makes me upset, because even today I hear my friends with kids uh, say that and this is not all teachers by any means, because a lot of teachers get it, but, you know, that their teachers don't think that those count as real books. Mm-hmm. The Captain Underpants books, the Dork Diaries, all of those um, mm-hmm. books that are highly graphic. Yeah. Um, I definitely think count as real books, and kids who love them are definitely reading, and they I don't know why they're not on the reading list yeah. for their summer, because yeah. I'm like, no, they should be, because that's that's a great way to get kids into reading. The books that I always got yelled at for reading, well, yep, judged by our, our teachers, was uh, the Goosebumps books. Oh, my gosh. And then, um, those are great. And then slightly more terrifying, the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh my god! Even today, yeah. I, 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 I mean, just as an aside, I used to babysit for a little girl who had. She was obsessed with. with this is not a graphic story, but it's the Babysitters Club. Mm-hmm. She loved the Babysitters Club. That was all she would read. And her mother actually said to me, "You know, please, if there's anything you can do, like take her to the library, get her to read something else other yeah. than the Babysitters Club." And I was like, "She's happy. That's what makes her feel good. Those are her comfort right. reads." Right. And. Um, the highly ironic part of the story is that that girl grew up to be a children's lit professor. That's amazing. <laughs> who's now currently teaching at MIT. And yeah, I oh know, goodness. right? And so I think that it's really important that if a kid is drawn to something, you let that kid read what they want because yeah. there's a reason why that kid is drawn to it. And it may be because she's secretly analyzing every yeah. word Yeah, <laughs> because she's going to write her dissertation on it later on, <laughs> even if she may not know it yet. And by the way, you have it set up perfectly because you write for all ages. You can basically write your, write your kids into adult fans. So you think you've been... Oh, thank you. <laughs> that is my master goal. It's to have world domination over now. Well, yeah, slowly but surely. Um, so towards the end of our podcast, we do nine... Uh, we call them the Nerd Nine, just lighthearted questions. Okay. Uh, not that anything else was too heavy that I asked you ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty hard. First one is, what's the last book you finished reading? The last book I finished reading, gosh, I just read The Laughing Policeman, mm-hmm. a Martin Beck mystery that actually was blurred by Jonathan Franzen, I can't believe it, by a couple of Swedish authors whose names I'm not going to be able to pronounce, okay. but it's Perwalu and I think Madge Showal. That's so much better than I would have done. <laughs> I, that's like kind of part. I feel like our listeners just know that if I say authors' names, I'm gonna butcher them. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? I love to read in my bathtub. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. Oh, me too, actually. Yeah, it's so nice. Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure or something you would consider a guilty pleasure? I don't feel guilty about anything. It's that always the right I do, answer. But I do love to watch um, what other people would consider really trashy reality shows and I don't care I'm not gonna and I'm not I have to you add. What they are. oh that was a fun one I, I love I can't even tell you because they're so bad but I love watching 
my 600 pound life. That's okay. Judgment it's so zone. inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. What is one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Wow. You know what? I've never seen the Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. So I would really like to go somewhere where I could see them. And I was, was going to say, would you think like Alaska? Out. I'm pointing. I mean, wherever the they, yeah, I know. It's amazing that you know where the Northern North. <laughs> yeah, wherever they have them. Canada or, you know. Iceland, somewhere where they have them. Um, Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? My favorite holiday to celebrate? Wow, I love so many of them. Um, I really love 4th of July. Wow, I sound very patriotic, don't I? But I love that it's just a relaxing holiday where everybody gets to watch. It kind of goes with my Northern Lights thing. I love giant flashing lights in the sky. (laughs) And, of course, you know, you get to eat hamburgers and yeah. stuff so um i think i'm gonna know the answer to the next two but i'll ask them anyway coffee or tea well i like both tea is probably my go-to really because oh. i actually heard it has more caffeine black tea Dep- yeah that's yeah. what i have black tea okay cats or dogs well cats i love cats <sighs> fine whatever. but uh, dogs are good that's <sighs> fine this is i have a cat so I my have co-host who's not here today is a cat lady i'm no. a dog okay guy Ooh. so it's our yeah. eternal struggle uh favorite food Wow, there's so much good food. I really, unfortunately, I have celiac disease, so I can't eat so a huge sister. portion. I love pizza, though, so mm. it's really a struggle and sad for me. Well, there's been with, there's I know. been a lot better gluten-free stuff lately. Because my sister's had celiac for about 15 years now. Yeah, so I, we it know used to be really bad. Now our, there's actually some good gluten-free mm-hmm. pizza out there. Even at our parents' house today, still, like, they'll have stuff. And my sister is older than so she has her own house, and she's been moving out <laughs> for a while and has a family, but... When we go to my parents' house, there's still everything. There's two everything. One has Aww. GF on it and one doesn't. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Oh, yeah. We know, we know your show. Um, and then our last one is, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Oh, gosh. You guys always ask this. And I always think of something to say, and then I forget it as soon as somebody asks me again. Um, you know, it's, this is like a sad tearjerker. But probably my dad. He died when I was 26. Mm-hmm. And he never got to see me as a quote-unquote success. And I'm not saying, like, I want to rub it in his face. <laughs> no, but uh, he never got to see uh-huh. what I became. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to That's perfect. see him now. Yeah. Um, so our last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? I really hope that they take away the fact that they're not alone. If they are feeling like maybe they... What I felt like I was a freak. I always felt I was a bit of a freak. And I was the only person in the world who didn't have friends and um like these weird things mm-hmm. and i think that i would love for people to read my books and think oh okay i'm not alone although i have to say that there are a lot of comments on my books where people say this girl is so weird <laughs> who worries about these things nobody so that's also good because yeah. maybe they are so exaggerated to an extreme that people feel comforted that they really are not freaks at all <laughs> That's, and I'm the freak, yeah. so that's good. That's amazing. Well, like I said, Royal Crush is out today, so once again, happy book birthday, and thank you so much for joining us today. It was a blast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.